Chapter 8 of Concerning Grace and Free Will by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, translated by Watkin Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That free choice remaineth after sin hath entered in. What then? Hath free choice perished because man is not able not to sin? By no means, but man hath lost free counsel, by means of which he before possessed the power not to sin. He lost it, moreover, in such a manner that, because he is not able indeed any longer not to be disturbed, it befalleth him in his wretched state to have lost also freedom of pleasure, by means of which he before possessed also the power of being able not to be disturbed. There remaineth, therefore, even after sin, freedom of choice, which, although in a state of misery, is yet intact. And the fact that man is not able of himself to shake himself free of the bondage of sin, or of misery, doth not signify the destruction of freedom of choice, but privation of the two remaining kinds of freedom. For there neither belongeth, nor ever hath belonged, to freedom of choice as such, to possess either power or wisdom, but merely will. It maketh us neither able nor wise, but simply willing. Therefore we are not to be thought to have lost freedom of choice, if we cease to be either powerful or wise, but only if we cease to be willing. For where there is not will, there is not freedom. I do not say, if we cease to will what is good, but if we cease to will at all. It must be allowed without contradiction that, when the will, not goodness of will, no longer existeth, then also freedom of choice is lost. But if the case be that the will is merely unable to will what is good, it meaneth that it lacketh not freedom of choice, but freedom of counsel. Again, if the will be unable, not indeed to will what is good, but to perform the good which it willeth, then let it be assured that it lacketh freedom of pleasure, not that it hath lost freedom of choice. If then freedom of choice everywhere accompanieth the will, in such a way that, unless the will wholly cease to be itself, it lacketh it not, but alike in evil and in good remaineth the will, thus none the less doth free choice also abide in its fullness, whether in evil or in good. And as the will, even when in the state of misery, doth not cease to be the will, but is called and is the miserable will, as it is also called and is the blessed will, so also can neither any adversity nor necessity either destroy or, so far as in it lieth, in any degree lessen freedom of choice. But although free choice remaineth everywhere equally without diminution, nevertheless it will not find itself able of itself to revive from an evil to a good state, after the same fashion in which of itself it was able to fall from a good into an evil state. And what wonder is it, if one that lieth prone be not able of himself to rise again, seeing that when standing aright he was unable by any effort of his own to advance to a better position? In fine, when freedom of choice still in some measure had with it the other two kinds of freedom, it was unable from the lower vantage ground of them to rise to higher levels, that is to say, to rise from the states of being able not to sin and being able not to be disturbed, to those of not being able to sin and not being able to be disturbed. But if, even however aided by those other two kinds of freedom, it was not strong enough to advance from the good to the better, how much less, now that it is deprived of them, will it be able of itself to escape from evil to the good in which it stood of old? 
Man, therefore, hath need of the power of God and the wisdom of God, even Christ, in order that, by reason of the fact that he is wisdom, he may re-infuse into him true wisdom, and thus restore to him the state of freedom of counsel, in order that, by reason of the fact that he is power, he may re-establish in him full power, and thus restore to him the state of freedom of pleasure, in such a measure that, being in virtue of the one perfectly good, he may no longer know sin, and being in virtue of the other completely blessed, he may suffer no adversity. But in truth it is in the future life that such perfection as this is to be expected, when both kinds of freedom now lost will be restored to free choice, not merely in the measure in which in this world they are restored to any righteous person, however perfect he may be, nor merely in the measure in which it was granted even to our first parents to possess them in paradise, but, as already now, the angels possess them in heaven. Meanwhile, however, let it suffice in this body of death and in this evil world that by freedom of counsel we obey not sin in lust, while by freedom of pleasure we fear not to suffer adversity for righteousness' sake. But, in this sinful flesh and in this evil day, if not wholly to lack, certainly not to consent to sin, this is in no small measure to be wise. And, if not yet wholly to enjoy felicity, at least for truth's sake, manfully to endure contempt, this is in no small measure to be powerful. Truly, it behoveth us here, meanwhile by freedom of counsel, to learn no longer to abuse freedom of choice, in order that, in the future, we may be able fully to enjoy freedom of pleasure. Thus, indeed, we are restoring in ourselves the image of God. Thus, by means of grace, we are being prepared to win that ancient honour which we lost through sin. And blessed is he who shall deserve to hear it said concerning himself, Who is he? And we will praise him. For he did wondrous things while he lived. He was able to transgress, yet he did not transgress. To do evil, yet he did not do evil. End of chapter 8「Concerning Grace and Free Will」by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, translated by Watkin Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That the image and the likeness of God, in which we were created, consist in a threefold freedom. Now I think that in these three kinds of freedom consist the very image and the likeness of the Creator in which we were created that the image indeed consisteth in freedom of choice, while in the remaining two kinds of freedom is revealed a certain two-sided likeness. Hence it is, perhaps, that freedom of choice alone suffereth not at all any defect or diminution of itself, because it is in it above all else that, as it were, may be seen impressed the substantial image of the eternal and unchangeable Godhead. For although it had a beginning, yet it knoweth not destruction neither hath it any increase from righteousness or from glory, nor doth it suffer any diminution from sin or from misery. What is there that, while it is not eternal, is more like unto eternity than is this? Further, in the other two kinds of freedom, seeing that they can be not only partly diminished but also wholly lost, we recognize, as it were, a likeness of divine wisdom and a likeness of divine power, added to the divine image. Finally, we have lost them both by sin, and we have recovered them both by grace, 
and every day indeed we either advance in them or we fall back from them, some of us more, others of us less. They can also be so lost that they cannot any longer be recovered, and they can be so possessed that they can never at any time be either lost or diminished. In this two-sided divine likeness of wisdom and of power, not indeed in its highest degree, but in that which is next to the highest, was man created in paradise. For what is nearer to the state of not being able to sin, or to be disturbed, in which without doubt the holy angels are now confirmed, and in which God always exists, than that of being able not to sin, and not to be disturbed, in which we know man was created. And he, nay, rather, we in him and with him, having by means of sin fallen from this state, have by means of grace received again, not indeed the very same degree thereof, but in place of it, a certain lower degree. For we are not able to exist here in this world entirely without sin or without misery, although we are able by the aid of grace to avoid being overcome by sin or by misery. Nevertheless, Scripture saith, Whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. But this is said of them that are predestined unto life, not meaning that they do not sin at all, but that sin is not imputed unto them, being either punished by befitting penance, or in love put utterly away. Love indeed covereth a multitude of sins, and blessed are they whose unrighteousnesses are forgiven and whose sins are covered. The angels therefore are in the highest, not the lowest grade of the divine likeness, we are in the lowest. Adam was in the intermediate grade. The evil spirits again are in no such grade at all. To the angels in heaven, then, it was granted to endure to the end without sin and without misery. But to Adam it was granted to exist without these, though not also to continue to exist without them. To us, however, it was not granted even to exist without them, but only not to be overcome by them. For the rest, the devil and his angels, even as they never have the will to resist sin, so are they never able to escape the penalty of sin. Seeing, therefore, that these two kinds of freedom, freedom of counsel and freedom of pleasure, by means of which wisdom and power are supplied to reasonable creatures, do, by the dispensation of God, vary according as he willeth, in respect of certain causes, places, and times, so that on earth they are possessed, but in very small measure, in heaven fully, in the intermediate state moderately, in hell not at all. Whereas freedom of choice, wherewith reasonable beings were created, is in no degree whatsoever changed by their condition, but, so far as it is free choice, is always equally possessed in heaven, on earth, and in hell. Seeing that this is so, it is only fitting that the two former should be held to be the divine likeness, and the latter the divine image." and indeed that in hell both kinds of freedom which belong to the divine likeness have perished the authority of scripture testifieth for that there true wisdom which cometh we know of freedom of counsel doth not exist at all that passage showeth where we read whatsoever thy hand can do do it with all thy might for there is neither work nor judgment nor wisdom in the lower world whither thou hastenest Moreover, concerning power which is granted by means of freedom of pleasure, the gospel saith as followeth, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness. For what is binding of the hands and feet, if not complete deprivation of power? But someone saith, How cometh it that there is not any wisdom there, where the ills that are suffered compel repentance for the ills that have been wrought? 
surely it cannot be either that in torment a man cannot repent or that to repent of evil is not true wisdom now this objection would rightly be raised were it the case that what is punished is merely the deed of sin and not also the evil will certainly there is no doubt but that no one in torment delighteth to repeat an act of sin but if even in torment the will remaineth evil what value hath the abnegation of an evil act that any man should therefore be accounted wise simply because now in the midst of the flames he taketh no delight in riotous living in a word into a soul that willeth evil wisdom shall not enter whence however shall we prove that even in that state in which the lost are punished the will remaineth evil to omit all else certainly they are unwilling to be punished but it is right that they should be punished who have done things deserving of punishment therefore they do not will what is right he however who doth not will what is right hath not a righteous will by the fact then that his will doth not consent to what is righteous it is unrighteous and thus also evil two things there are either of which proveth a will to be wicked namely that it pleaseth to sin and that it pleaseth it to have sinned with impunity in the past thus to take pleasure in sin so long as it is possible to sin and when it is no longer possible to will that sin remain unpunished what of true wisdom is there in this what good will does this show but granted that it repenteth the loss to have sinned can we say that the will is yet good if were the choice given to it it prefereth to continue in sin rather than to endure the punishment of sin the former is a wrong choice the latter is a righteous but when would a good will choose rather what is wrong than what is right besides they do not truly repent who do not so much grieve that they have lived unto themselves as that now no longer are able to live unto themselves finally a man's outward state revealeth his inward state for so long as the body is in flames of torment so long is it plain that the will persisteth in wickedness accordingly among the lost there is nothing whatever of that likeness of god which consisteth in freedom of counsel and freedom of pleasure nor can there be yet by reason of freedom of choice the image of god abideth there immovably end of chapter nine Chapter 10 of Concerning Grace and Free Will by St. Bernard of Clairvaux Translated by Watkin Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That through Christ the likeness which properly belongs to the divine image is restored in us. But in this world the likeness could nowhere reasonably be found, nay, rather the divine image would here still lie filthy and defaced, were it not that the woman of whom the gospel tells should light her candle that is to say unless he who is wisdom were to appear in the flesh and turn inside out the house of sins and seek again the peace which he had lost namely his own image which despoiled of its native beauty encrusted with the filth of sin lay hidden as it were in the very dust and when found should cleanse it to its first fair state again making it like unto the saints in glory nay rather should make it in all respects like unto himself when the word of scripture should be fulfilled which saith we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and in truth whom did such a work befit better than the son of god 
who, seeing that he is the effulgence of the Father's glory and the essential form of his very being, upholding the universe by his word, manifested himself, endowed with full power of the twofold work of restoring what was deformed and strengthening what was weak, putting to flight the darkness of sin in the effulgence of his Godhead, and restoring wisdom, and by the virtue of his word giving power against the tyranny of evil spirits. He came, therefore, the very essential form of God, to whom the free choice of man had to be conformed. For in order that it might receive again its original form, it needed to be reformed from the same source from which it had been formed. But the form is wisdom. The confirmation consisteth in the image doing that work in the human body, which the form doth in the whole world. Now that wisdom reacheth from one end to another mightily, and sweetly doth it order all things. It reacheth from one end to another, that is to say, from the highest heaven to the depths of earth, and from the greatest angel to the very least of worms. But it reacheth mightily, not indeed by digressive motion or by local diffusion, nor merely by official administration of created life, its subject, rather by a certain essential and omnipresent strength, whereby indeed he moveth, ordereth, and governeth the whole universe most potently. And all this he doeth by no necessity that compelleth him. Nor in these matters doth he work with any difficulty, but with a tranquil will he ordereth all things sweetly. In very truth he reacheth from one end to another, that is, from the origin of created life even unto the end appointed for it by the Creator whether it be the end to which fallen nature impels it, or that which judgment hastens, or that which grace concedes. He reacheth from one end to another mightily, seeing that none of these ends is reached that doth not foreordain it, as he willeth by the power of his providence. Therefore let free will seek to rule its own body, even as wisdom ruleth the world, itself also reaching from one end to another mightily, to wit, giving its commands to each sense, and to each member with such authority, that it allow not sin to reign in its mortal body, nor yield its members as weapons to iniquity, but rather present them for the service of righteousness. Thus no longer will the man be the servant of sin when he doeth not sin, from which indeed set free he will now begin to recover freedom of counsel, and to vindicate his dignity, while he clotheth himself with a likeness befitting the divine image in himself, yea, restoreth his ancient comely state. But let him take heed that he do this not less sweetly than mightily, that is to say, not of sorrow or of necessity, which is but the beginning, and not the fullness of wisdom, nay, rather with a ready and a cheerful will, which maketh a sacrifice accepted, seeing that God loveth a cheerful giver. And thus in all things he will follow the example of wisdom, both withstanding vice mightily and being sweetly at rest in conscience. But in truth, we need also the help of him by whose example we are incited to such conduct as this, in order plainly that by means of him we may be conformed unto him and be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, if it be by the Spirit of the Lord that this is brought about, it is no longer by free choice. Let no one then think that free choice is so called because, with equal power or facility, it concerneth itself with good and evil, seeing that it was indeed able to fall by means of itself, but not to rise again, save by means of the Spirit of the Lord. 
otherwise neither god nor the holy angels for they are in such sense good as not to be able to be evil nor again the fallen angels for they are in such sense evil as not to be able to be good could be said to possess freedom of choice nor moreover shall we lose freedom of choice after the general resurrection when undoubtedly we shall have been inseparably associated some of us with the good other of us with the evil angels for the rest neither god nor the devil lacketh freedom of choice for it is no weak necessity but a will strong in the good and a free strength of purpose which maketh it impossible for the former to be evil and that the latter is unable to long after the good no violent force of another affecteth but his own will stubborn in evil and his own free obstinacy therefore then freedom of choice is so called rather because whether in doing good or in doing evil it maketh the will equally free for neither ought nor can any man be said to be either good or bad except in so far as he is willingly such on this reasoning he will fittingly be said to be equally situated towards good and towards evil because plainly he has not indeed equal facility in preferring but equal freedom in willing the one or the other end of chapter ten chapter eleven of concerning grace and free will by st bernard of clairvaux translated by watkin williams this librivox recording is in the public domain that neither grace nor temptation taketh away from freedom of choice truly as hath been said by this prerogative of divine dignity the creator hath singularly honoured the reasonable creature in such fashion that as he himself was independent and was good of his own will and by no necessity imposed by another thus it also should in a manner be so far independent as neither to become evil and justly to be condemned nor to remain good and deservedly to be rewarded save only of its own will not however that its own will could suffice unto it for salvation but that without its own will it could take no step in the direction of salvation no one forsooth is saved against his will nor indeed is what is said in the gospel no one cometh unto me unless my father draw him and again in another place compel them to come in at all contrary to this for while certainly the loving father who willeth all to be saved seemeth to draw or compel as many as may be nevertheless he judgeth no one worthy of salvation unless he have already found him willing to be saved and when he frighteneth men or smiteth them his purpose is to make them willing to be saved not to save them against their will in so far that while he changeth the will from evil to good he doth not take away its freedom but transferreth its allegiance as for being drawn however it is not always against their will that men are drawn for neither the blind nor the weary are saddened for being led or borne moreover paul was led by the hand to damascus certainly not against his will finally she was indeed most willing who in the song of songs made earnest requests saying draw me because of the savour of thine ointments we will run after thee then on the other hand there is the fact that it is written each man is tempted by his own lust having been drawn away and enticed by it and also that the body which is corrupted presseth down the soul and the earthly tabernacle weigheth down the mind that museth upon many things 
and that the apostle saith, I find another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. All these statements may be thought to imply that the will is under compulsion and deprived of its freedom. But the truth is that however a man may be pressed into temptation, whether from within or from without, his will, so far as concerneth choice, will be always free, inasmuch as, in spite of everything, it will be free to decide in the matter of its own consent. But so far as concerneth freedom of counsel or freedom of pleasure, as long as endureth the struggle with concupiscence and with misery, so long indeed doth the will perceive itself to be restricted in its freedom, though not on that account to be evil, save only if it consent to evil. Finally, Paul, who complaineth that he is being drawn a captive to the law of sin, without doubt by reason that he hath not full freedom of counsel, nevertheless boasteth that the consent of his will is unimpaired, and now in large measure also free in well-doing, saying, It is no longer I that do it. Whence, Paul, this confidence? Because, saith he, I consent to the law of God, that it is good. And again, for I delight in the law of God according to the inner man. The eye, being single, he presumeth the whole body to be full of light. The consent of his will being unimpaired, he doth not hesitate to profess that, although drawn by sin and taken captive by misery, he is yet free in well-doing. And in this confidence it is that he concludeth generally, there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. End of chapter 11. Chapter 12 of Concerning Grace and Free Will by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, translated by Watkin Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Whether one that, for fear of death or of other penalty, denieth the faith, is to be excused from blame, or to be held destitute of free choice. But let us consider the case of those who, for fear of punishment or of death, have been nominally compelled to deny the faith. Let us consider whether, perchance, according to this declaration of their compulsion, it is the fact either that no blame is due to them for denial of the faith merely by word of mouth, or that the will, as well as the tongue, could have been compelled by force to incur blame, so that plainly a man might will what was admitted that he also did not will, and thus his freedom of choice be done away. And because this were impossible, for a man could not at one and the same time both will and not will the same thing, the question is asked how it is right that evil should be imputed to them that in no way will evil. For such sin is not as is original sin, by which one who, as yet unregenerate by baptism, not only in the absence of consent, but also for the most part in ignorance as to his state, is on other grounds held in bondage. Let us take, for example, the Apostle Peter. He seemed, indeed, against his own will, to deny the truth, inasmuch as he was under the external necessity of either denying it or suffering death. Fearing death, he denied it. He was unwilling to deny it, but he was more unwilling to die. Accordingly, he denied it against his will. Nevertheless, he did deny it, lest he should die. But although the man was compelled to say with his tongue, and not with his will, what he was unwilling to say, he was not compelled to will what he did not will. His tongue was moved against his will. 
But was his will at all changed? What was it that he willed? He willed truly to be what he was, a disciple of Christ. What was he saying? I know not the man. Why did he say this? He willed to escape death. But why was he deserving of reproach in so doing? We recognize in the apostle two acts of will, the one by which he willed not to die, a thing wholly free from blame, the other by which he delighted to be a Christian, which was highly praiseworthy. In what then was the apostle blameworthy? Was it in that he preferred to lie rather than to die? Plainly this act of will was deserving of blame, for he willed to preserve the life of the body rather than that of the soul. The mouth to wit that lieth slayeth the soul. He sinned, therefore, and not without the consent of his own will, which was feeble indeed and wretched, but certainly free. He sinned, however, not by rejecting or hating Christ, but by loving himself too much. Nor did that sudden fear of death compel his will by force to this perverse self-love, but it proved it to exist. He was without doubt already such a man as this, but he knew it not. Although he had heard him, from whom the truth could not be hidden, say, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Thus that weakness of will, which was revealed, but not caused by fear inspired, made known the extent to which he loved himself, and the extent to which he loved Christ, made it known, however, not to Christ, but to Peter. For even before all this happened, Christ knew what was in man. In so far, therefore, as he loved Christ, his will so to do, it is not to be denied, plainly suffered violence, so that he spake in contradiction of himself, but in so far as he loved himself, without doubt he freely consented, so that he spake on behalf of himself. Had he not loved Christ, he would not have denied him unwillingly. But had he not loved himself more, he would not have denied him at all. Therefore it must be confessed that the man was compelled, although not to change, yet to dissemble his own will. Compelled, I mean, not to yield in love to God, but to yield somewhat from love of self. What then? Is all that hath been said above concerning the freedom of the will, perchance, untrue, because without a doubt it hath been found that the will can be compelled? Yes, certainly, but only if the will could be compelled by another than itself. If, however, it was the will itself that compelled itself, being at once subjected and subjecting, then, just when it seemed to lose its freedom, it actually received it. Of a truth, the force which the will used against itself is used of itself. Further, what is used of itself, it used as an act of will. What force it used as an act of will, it used not as necessitated from outside itself, but as a voluntary act. But if as a voluntary act, also as a free act. Finally, one whose will compelled him to deny the faith, was compelled because he willed to be compelled. Nay, rather, he was not compelled, but he consented. And that not to an external force other than himself, but to his own will, the will namely by all means to escape death. Otherwise, how could some woman's voice have availed to shape a holy tongue to wicked words, had not the will, the mistress of the tongue, assented? Finally, when afterwards he refrained himself from that excessive love of self, and began, as he ought to do, to love Christ with all his heart and all his soul and all his strength, then could his will, by no threats or penalties, be forced in any measure to yield his tongue as a weapon unto unrighteousness, but rather boldly complying with the truth, he said, We ought to obey God rather than men. 
there is verily a twofold compulsion according to which we are compelled either to suffer something or to act contrary to our own will passive compulsion for so the former is rightly named indeed can sometimes take place without the consent of the will of him that suffereth it but active compulsion never can Accordingly, the evil which is done in us, or concerning us, is not to be imputed to us, provided that our will have not consented. For the rest, the evil which is done by our active agency is not done without the will incurring blame. Plainly, we are proved to will evil, which would not be the case if we did not will it. There is then, too, an active compulsion, as well as a passive, but it doth not excuse the will from blame when it is also accepted freely. A Christian, in the case in point, was compelled to deny Christ, and that indeed regretfully, nevertheless not otherwise than as an act of will. He was all too willing to escape the headsman's sword, and such a will ruling within him, and not the sword before his eyes, it was which opened his mouth. Thus the sword did not compel his will, but proved it to be what it was. Therefore the will itself brought itself under blame, not the sword. In a word, where the will was right, men could be slain, but they could not be bent. This it is which had been foretold them, they shall do unto you whatsoever they will, to your bodily members, however, not to your hearts. Ye shall not do what they will, but they shall do what they will, and ye shall suffer. They shall torture your bodily members, but they shall not change your will. They shall deal savagely with your flesh, but shall have nothing that they can do unto your soul. Although the body of the sufferer may be in the power of the tormentor, yet his will is free. By their cruel dealing they shall discover whether the will will be weak. They shall not compel it to be weak, if it be not weak already. Truly its weakness is from itself, but its health is not from itself, but from the Spirit of the Lord. It is healed when it is renewed. Furthermore, it is renewed when, as the Apostle teacheth, beholding the glory of the Lord, it is transformed from glory to glory, that is, from strength to strength, as by the Spirit of the Lord. Between which divine Spirit, indeed, and the fleshly appetite, that in man which is called free choice, that is to say, the human will, taketh, as it were, a middle place, and like unto one hanging in doubtful plight, on the steep slope of a very high mountain, thus in the matter of appetite is the will made weak through the flesh, so that unless the spirit, by means of grace, perseveringly helpeth its weakness, not merely is it unable, by ascending from strength to strength, to attain unto the summit of righteousness, which is according to the prophet even as the mountains of God, but, rolling downwards by its own weight from vice to vice, it falleth headlong, overburdened, in truth not only by the law of sin originally implanted in its members, but in addition by the habits of its earthly tabernacle, which use hath grafted upon the affections. Of both of which burdens of the human will, Scripture forsooth telleth briefly in a verse, when it saith, The body which is corrupted presseth down the soul, and the earthly tabernacle weigheth down the mind that museth upon many things. And these two ills of our mortal state, even as they do not injure, but rather train them that do not consent to temptation, so also do they not excuse, but rather condemn them that do so consent. So that neither salvation nor condemnation, can by any means follow, unless there precede the consent of the will, lest, by any chance, freedom of choice should seem to be in a measure subject to the dictates of force. End of chapter 12
Chapter 13 of Concerning Grace and Free Will by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, translated by Watkin Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That human merits are no other than divine gifts. Wherefore, that which in created beings is called free choice is surely either justly condemned, seeing that by no external force is it predetermined to commit sin, or it is mercifully saved, for no righteousness of its own sufficeth unto it for righteousness. And let the reader bear well in mind that, in what is here said, no account at all is taken of the fact of original sin. For the rest, let not the cause of the condemnation of free choice be sought outside itself, for nothing, in fact, condemneth it, save only its own fault. Nor are the merits of salvation of itself, but mercy alone saveth it. Moreover, its efforts to do good are both in vain, if they be not aided, and do not exist at all, if they do not be moved by grace. Besides, as the scripture telleth, the senses and the thoughts of man are prone to evil. Accordingly, as hath been said, his merits are not to be held as accruing to him of himself as their source, but rather as descending from on high, from the Father of lights. If, of course, the very merits whereby eternal salvation is gained are to be reckoned amongst the best and perfect gifts. For God, who is our King of old, when he wrought salvation in the midst of the earth, divided his gifts unto men into merits and rewards, to the end both that the present gifts might, as freely possessed by us, become our merits in the meantime, and that we might look forward to receiving the future gifts as gratuitously promised by him, nay, rather, expect them as due. It is in reference to both these that Paul saith, Ye have your fruit unto sanctification, but the end eternal life. And again he saith, And we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan over our present state, waiting for the adoption of the sons of God meaning by the first fruits of the Spirit, sanctification, that is to say, the virtues in which we are at the present stage being sanctified by the Spirit in order that deservedly we may obtain the adoption. Again in the Gospel the same promises are made to him that renounceth the world, where it is said, He shall receive a hundredfold, and shall possess life eternal. And thus salvation is not wrought by man's free will, but by the Lord. Nay, rather, he is himself salvation, and the way unto salvation, who saith, I am the salvation of the people, who showeth the road thereunto, I am the way. He made himself to be the way, who was the salvation and the life, in order that no flesh should glory. If then the good things of the way are merits, even as the good things of the fatherland to which we journey are salvation and life, and if that be true, which David saith, there is none that doeth good, none save one only, save, that is to say, the one alone of whom it is also said, none is good save God alone. Without doubt, in such case, both our works and his rewards are alike the gift of God, and he who made himself a debtor in respect of the latter has also made us meritorious in virtue of the former. Nevertheless, he deigns to make use of the services of his creatures in establishing their merits, not on the ground of his standing in need of such services, but on the ground of their being of profit to his creatures. God therefore worketh their salvation, whose names are in the book of life, sometimes by means of the creature without itself, at other times by means of the creature against itself, at other times by means of the creature with itself. 
for indeed there are many things which minister to the salvation of men by means of insensible and likewise by means of irrational creatures which i have spoken of as done without the creature for the reason that it cannot for lack of understanding be conscious of them god also maketh many things of use for the salvation of many men by the instrumentality of the wicked whether men or angels who since they do such service unwillingly therefore act against themselves for while they take pleasure in desiring to do hurt it is themselves who are as much hurt by their own wicked purpose as others are profited by their useful doings and then those with whom as well as by means of whom god worketh are the good whether angels or men who alike do and will what god willeth for in the case of those who consent in will to what they do in act with them god expressly shareth the work which he hath in hand whence paul when he had narrated the many good things which god by his means had done saith not i but the grace of god which was with me he might have said by means of me but because that would have been too little he preferred to say with me representing himself to be not only a minister of the work by giving it effect but also by giving his consent in a fashion a partner of him that worketh it let us consider now in respect of this threefold manner of god's working which we have alleged what it is that the creature in each case meriteth the creature indeed by means of which but without which is done what is done what can it merit but what can that merit against which it is done except wrath and what that with which it is done if not grace accordingly in the first case no merits are gained in the second evil merits in the last good merits for the beasts of the field when by their means some good or evil resulteth do not merit good or evil inasmuch as they do not possess the power of consenting to good or evil much less do the stones merit for they have not even sense perception on the other hand the devil or wicked men seeing that with fullness of reason they thrive and keep their watch thereby indeed merit yet naught else than punishment for they dissent from the good but paul who preacheth the gospel willingly lest were it unwillingly that he so did he would merely have been entrusted with a stewardship and whoever is of like mind with him seeing indeed that they obey with full consent of will are well assured that there is laid up for them a crown of righteousness god therefore useth for the salvation of his own the irrational and likewise the insensible creature a beast of burden or a mere instrument which their work once done shall be nowhere found he useth the rational but ill-willed creature as it were as a rod of discipline which when his child hath been corrected he will cast into the fire as a useless twig he useth both angels and men of goodwill as his comrades and allies whom the victory won he will reward most abundantly finally paul also boldly proclaimeth concerning himself and others the like for we are god's fellow-helpers accordingly god of his loving-kindness assigneth merits to man whenever he deigneth by his means and with his help to work any good work hence it is that we presume to be god's fellow-helpers fellow-labourers with the holy ghost meritorious of the kingdom because in fact by consent of will we are joined unto the divine will end of chapter thirteen chapter fourteen of concerning grace and free will by st bernard of clairvaux translated by watkin williams 
This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. What part is to be assigned to grace, and what to free choice in the work of salvation? What then? Is this therefore all that free choice doth in the matter? Is this its sole merit, to consent? Certainly it is. Not, indeed, that even the very act of consent in which consisteth its entire merit is of itself, since not so much as to think, which is less than to consent, anything as of ourselves, are we of ourselves sufficient. These are not my words, but the apostles, who attributeth to God, not to his own free choice, everything of good that can be, that is to say, to think and to will and to do according to his good will. If, therefore, God worketh in us these three, that is to say, to think and to will and to perform what is good according to his good will, the first assuredly he doth without us, the second with us, and the third by means of us. For, indeed, by sending us good thoughts, he preventeth us. By also changing our evil wills, he joineth us to himself through consent, and by supplying to our consent the opportunity of performance by means of our manifest work, he that worketh in us maketh himself known outwardly. Certainly we are by no means able to prevent ourselves. But he who findeth no one that is already good, saveth no one whom he doth not prevent. The beginning of our salvation is therefore without doubt from God. Neither is it at all by our means, nor is it with our help. But the consent of the will and the work performed, although they do not originate from us, nevertheless are not without us. Thus neither the first, in which truly we do nothing, nor the last, which unprofitable fear or damnable hypocrisy doth oft-times extort from us, but the second only is reckoned unto us as meritorious. In fact, good will alone sufficeth, the rest avail nothing. If it only be wanting, I should have said, they avail nothing to the agent nor to the beholders. Accordingly, the intention availeth for merit, the action for example, the preventing thought availeth merely to excite them both. Let us then beware, lest when we perceive these things to be invisibly enacted within us and with our cooperation, we attribute them either to our own will, which is weak, or to any external necessity imposed upon God, of which there is none, and not to grace alone, of which he is full. Grace it is which moveth free choice, when it soweth the seed of good thoughts, which healeth it, when it changeth the disposition, which strengtheneth it, when it persuadeth it to external action, which keepeth it, so that it may not suffer failure. But grace worketh with free choice, in such a manner that, while in the first instance it only preventeth it, afterwards it accompanieth it, indeed it preventeth free choice to the very end that in the future it may cooperate with it. Nevertheless, what has been begun by grace alone is in such fashion performed by grace and by free choice that in cooperation, not separately, at one and the same time, not by turns, the result is wrought by both of them. It is not that grace doeth part and free choice doeth part, but each doeth the entire work by its individual energy. Free choice, in truth, doeth the entire work, and so also doth grace, but even as the whole is done by the former, by cooperation, so is the whole done of the latter, by origination. We believe that it pleaseth the reader, that we nowhere depart from the teaching of the apostle, and whithersoever the argument may have wandered, we have often made use of his very words. For what else do we mean than what he saith? 
It is therefore neither of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Which indeed he saith, not as though any man can will or run in vain, but because he that willeth and runneth ought to glory, not in himself, but in him from whom he hath received the power to will and to run. In fine, he saith, What hast thou which thou didst not receive? Thou art created, thou art healed, thou art saved. Which of these, O man, originateth from thyself? Which of these is not impossible for free choice? Thou who didst not exist, couldst not create thyself, nor a sinner couldst thou justify thyself, nor when dead couldst thou bring thyself again to life. So say nothing of other good things, which are either necessary to them that must be healed, or laid up in store for them that are to be saved. What we say is sufficiently plain as concerns the first creation and the last salvation. But concerning the intervening stage, justification, also no one doubteth, save that he, knowing nothing of the righteousness of God, and willing to establish his own righteousness, is not subject to the righteousness of God. What? Dost thou receive the power of the Creator, the glory of the Saviour, and yet knowest not the righteousness of the healer? Heal me, saith the prophet, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. He recognized the righteousness of God, by whom he hoped no less to be delivered from misery than to be healed of sin. And therefore rightly he concluded that it was God, and not himself, that was his praise. Wherefore David also, reiterating, saith, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give the glory. For it was from God that he was looking for both robes, that is to say, the robe of righteousness and the robe of glory. Who is he that knoweth not the righteousness of God? He that counteth himself righteous. Who is he that counteth himself righteous? He that claimeth for himself merits from some other source than grace. Moreover, he who made that which should be saved also gave the means whereby it may be saved. He, I mean, who made those to whom merits should be granted, himself grants them. What, saith the psalmist, shall I give back unto the Lord for all he hath? not given, but given back unto me, both that he existeth and that he is righteous. He confesseth to be from God, lest by denying one or the other he should destroy them both, losing indeed the means whereby he is righteous, and thus dooming that which he is. But so confessing, now in the last place, he findeth that which in his turn he should repay. I will receive, he saith, the cup of salvation. The cup of salvation is the blood of the Saviour. Therefore, if there wholly lacketh thee of thine own anything which thou mayst repay even for the second gifts of God bestowed upon thee, whence dost thou provide thyself with salvation? I will call, saith he, upon the name of the Lord, upon which undoubtedly whosoever calleth shall be saved. Therefore, they who are possessed of true wisdom confess a threefold operation, not indeed of free choice as their agent, but of divine grace in or concerning free choice. The first is creation, the second reformation, the third consummation. For first, we were created in Christ unto freedom of will. Secondly, we were reformed through Christ unto the spirit of freedom. Lastly, we are to be consummated together with Christ unto the state of eternal life. Inasmuch as that which did not exist needed to be created in him who existed, the deformed to be reformed by means of the form himself. It needed that the members should not be made perfect, save only in union with the head, 
which last result will then indeed be brought to completion when we shall all attain unto a perfect man unto the measure of age of the fullness of christ when christ appearing who is our life we also shall appear with him in glory seeing then that the consummation hath to be wrought concerning us or even in us though not by us whereas the creation hath been wrought also without us that alone which on account of our free consent is in a certain manner wrought with us namely our reformation will be reckoned unto us as meritorious this consisteth of our fasts our vigils our continence our works of mercy and the rest of our virtuous practices by means of which it is plainly evident that our inward man is renewed from day to day while the mind bowed under worldly cares little by little riseth again from depths to heights and the affection languishing in fleshly lusts gradually gaineth strength for spiritual love and the memory fouled by the infamy of ancient deeds now clothed in the white robe of good works daily groweth joyous for it is in these three things that interior renewal consisteth that is to say in rectitude of mind in purity of affection and in the remembrance of good works by means of which memory shineth ever fairer in the consciousness of well-doing but seeing that it is certain that these gifts are wrought in us by the spirit they are the gifts of god yet because they are accompanied by the consent of our will they are our merits for saith he it is not ye that speak but the spirit of your father that speaketh in you and the apostle asketh do you seek a proof of him that he speaketh in me even christ if therefore christ or the holy spirit speaketh in paul doth he not also in the same way work in him for i do not speak saith he of the things which god doth not work through me what then if both the words and the works are not paul's but god's who speaketh in paul or worketh through paul wherefore in such case are the merits paul's wherefore is it that he so confidently affirmed i have fought the good fight i have finished the course i have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day was it perchance that he was assured that the crown was laid up for him because it was through him that those deeds were done but many good things are done by means of the wicked whether angels or men yet they are not reckoned unto them as meritorious or was it rather because they were done with him that is to say with his good will for saith he if i preach the gospel unwillingly a stewardship hath been entrusted to me but if willingly i have whereof to glory moreover if not so much as the free will on which dependeth all merit is from paul himself on what ground doth he speak of the crown which he believeth to be laid up for him as a crown of righteousness is it because whatsoever is even freely promised is yet asked for justly and as a matter of due finally he saith i know whom i have believed and i am persuaded that he is able to keep that which i have entrusted unto him the promise of god he calls his deposit and because he believed him that promised he asketh for the fulfilment of the promise what was indeed promised in mercy is yet due in justice thus it is a crown of righteousness that paul expecteth but of god's righteousness not of his own it is forsooth just that god should pay what he oweth but it is what he hath promised that he oweth this then is the righteousness upon which the apostle presumeth namely god's fulfilment of his promise lest if disdaining this righteousness he would establish his own 
he be not subject to the righteousness of God, when it was all the while God's will that he should be partaker of his righteousness, in order that he might also make him meritorious of a crown. For he constituted him partaker of his righteousness, and meritorious of a crown, when he deigned to take him as his fellow worker, in the works as a reward for which the crown of righteousness was laid up. Further, he made him his fellow worker, when he made him his willing work, that is to say, consentient with his will. Accordingly, the will is held to be God's aid. The aid it gives is held to be meritorious. If, then, in such a case, the will is from God, so also is the merit. Nor is there any doubt, but that both to will and to perform according to the good will are from God. God, therefore, is the author of merit, who both applieth the will to the work, and supplieth to the will the fulfilment of the work. Besides, what are called our merits may be properly described as seed-plots of hope, incentives to love, tokens of a hidden predestination, foretastes of future felicity, the way by which we reach the kingdom, not the moving cause of our kingship. In a word, not them whom he found righteous, but them whom he made righteous, did God also magnify. End of chapter 14 End of Concerning Grace and Free Will by St. Bernard of Clairvaux Translated by Watkin Williams